0: Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com.
1: I'm really excited this morning to introduce... To you guys, uh, Jeff Brock, who's going to be come, who's going to be coming up and preaching the word to us. Uh, Jeff and his wife Stephanie have uh, been coming to Hope for a little over a year now. Um, they're leading a community group as of this fall. Uh, you may recognize Jeff from playing the drums in the worship band, um, either once a month or so. And uh, really excited, Jeff is currently a student at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary here in Charlotte. And so he's recently uh, started as a new intern for us here at Hope South End. And he's primarily going to be focusing on um, things with men's ministry, uh, but also getting to do things like this every once in a while, getting to uh, uh, preach to us. So we're really excited about that. And um, so I'm going to pray for us and for Jeff, and then he's going to come up and uh, share the Word of God with us. So let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you um, for this morning. Um, we thank you this morning just for who you are. Uh, we thank you for another year as we get here uh, to the end of it today. And uh, as we think about this year, we thank you for all the good things that we were able to see you do this year. Uh, in us personally, in our church, in the world around us. Um, the way they've pointed us to you and your goodness and your power. And yet, at the same time, as we reflect on this year, we grieve and come to you with what was hard losses we faced, trials we had to walk through, trials we continue to have to walk through, tragedies and, and suffering in the world. And we ask in these things for your mercy, for your comfort, ultimately for your rescue. And we pray um, for wisdom as we head into a new year, 2024. You tell us in your word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we ask that we may all grow this year in our fear of you, uh, which is is our trust in you, our sense of how big and good and trustworthy you are. Uh, May we know that in a deeper way this year and live out of it, so that no matter what kind of plans we have for ourselves, Uh, Ultimately, the work you want to do in us and in the world around us would be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you now for this time to open up your word and to study it. And uh, we pray for Jeff. Uh, We ask that you would comfort and strengthen him as he preaches the good news of the gospel to us. Thank you for all the time he's put in it this week and the last few weeks, thinking about it, working on it praying through it. Um, We ask that you'd help him to believe uh, the good news that he comes to preach to us, and that you'd give all of us open and receptive hearts um, as we hear it. And uh, we thank you again for this time and pray all this. Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.
0: Well, good morning. It's very exciting to be here with you. Um, We're going to be in Mark 5, so if you have a Bible with you, you can Turn to Mark 5, we'll start in verse 21, and it should be projected behind me or in your bulletin. And I do wanna say, Stephanie and I have been coming here for a little over a year, and it has been such a privilege to be at Hope. You guys have provided such great community for us, and it has been, yeah, just a privilege to get to know so many of you. Um, So again, we'll be in Mark 5, and it'll be verses 21 through 43. The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, this is an incredible testimony of who you are and what you have done for us and for your people. We pray that you will help us to see you more clearly this morning and I pray that you will strengthen our faith in you, in your name, amen. So it's Friday night before Christmas, it's pizza night in our house and we're also trying to go out of town so there's a lot going on. Steph is trying to make some baked goods for us to take And and so she says, hey, Jeff, I need you to help me in the kitchen. And sous-chef Jeff is already ready to go. I have proficiency in stirring something. I can turn on the oven to both convection and broil. And I'm very good at doing the dishes. But today, she said, on this Friday, she said, can you make the pizzas? Which, to this point, is definitely the most uh, intimidating task I've ever had to do. But long story short, she Coached me through it and we got there and I made the pizzas and Pizza Night wasn't ruined. But it struck me in the moment because it took a lot of trust from her in me to be able to not mess everything up. And to a certain extent, there was a little bit of risk in that, and I didn't have the best track record of making food, but she trusted me. And although this is a silly example, there have been many moments in our relationship where we've had to put faith in each other. And in those moments where you kind of risk being let down or being hurt, those are the moments where you tend to grow the most in your trust, in faith, in knowledge of other people around you. And today in our passage, we have two people who put their faith in Jesus, and as a result, they see him to such a greater extent, and he shows them two core aspects of who he is. And first, we see Jairus, who puts his faith in Jesus, and he sees Jesus as his all-powerful healer. So at the beginning of our passage, it says that Jesus and his disciples cross uh, the Sea of Galilee back in are in Capernaum here in this story. And this is really their home base. This is where Jesus and his disciples have, for the most part, spent a lot of their time. And so you can see that Jesus already has this following. There's a lot of people that immediately swarm to him as soon as they get off the boat. And then enters Jairus, says the ruler of the synagogue, And so this man is essentially the spiritual leader in Capernaum. And so he's high-ranking, he's got status, he's got reputation, and he falls before Jesus and implores him, begs him for his help because his daughter is at the point of death. And so there's this imminent need, and he's humbling himself before Jesus. And this is already striking in two ways. First, Jairus, as the leader, the ruler, the high-ranking guy, Him falling before Jesus is already a reversal of roles, and it's impressive that he's willing to do that for Jesus. And then second, as a spiritual leader, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus and the religious leaders are mostly at odds with each other, especially with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They used their religious position to garner political power, and they used it as a way to exert control over the people. And Jesus stood in opposition to that, And for the most part, religious leaders hated Jesus, and anyone who followed Jesus, they looked down on. And so Jairus, by coming to Jesus in the first place, was showing faith, and he was really risking a lot of his power, uh, his standing among the religious leaders, and his reputation. But Jesus uh, says, you know, Let's go, let's go do this. And so they're moving through the town, and you can just imagine this huge crowd of people. Progress is probably slow. And you can imagine that Jairus is, has this fear and anxiety of, of what might happen if they don't get there in time, and it's building as they're moving. And then there's this moment in the middle of our story, which we'll come back to, but Jesus stops to interact with this woman, and it doesn't seem like it's a particularly short encounter. And so you can imagine that Jairus is frustrated. He's, he still has this anxiety about what could happen if they don't make it in time. And moving down to verse 35, his fears are confirmed. It says, while he's still speaking, so this is kind of as Jesus is finishing up talking to the woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And notice how they call Jesus the teacher. And this kind of reveals what people thought about him at this point. You know, he's he's taught, they've been impressed with his authority that he teaches with, and yes, he's done a couple healings and he's cast out demons, but the daughter is dead. There's, there's nothing in their minds that Jesus could do here, and whether we realize it or not, we often put God in a similar box. We think there are certain limits to what he can do, certain things that he can and can't do, and especially when the situation isn't going the way we plan. Uh, Maybe things in our job or in our family are just not ideal. It seems like there's no way God's working through this situation. But I would encourage you to look at Jesus through this entire passage. There's no moment where he's fretful or worried or anxious. He's completely in control the whole time, and he works through everything. And as a result, you see Jesus say to Jairus, Do not fear, only believe. Don't look at the situation around you. Don't listen to what people are saying. Look at me and believe. So it required faith for Jairus to come in the first place, to submit himself to Jesus and ask for his help, but it's going to take even more faith for him to continue to trust in Jesus at this time. And we see that in our lives. Time and difficulty are often things that God uses to strengthen our faith and trust and dependence on him. And as if that's a hard task for Jairus already, when they get to the house, it's loud. There's weeping and wailing. Everyone is grieving. And it's understandable, a daughter has died. And so it would be really, really difficult for Jairus to keep his faith in Jesus in this moment. But again, Jesus is confident, and he assures them, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And really, he's hinting at what he's about to do. And so he puts everyone out of the house, And you'll notice it says that he brought only Peter, James, and John with him as opposed to all 12 disciples. And at first that might seem strange that it's such a small group when Jesus is about to do something so incredible. But really what Jesus is doing is consistent with how he's been throughout Mark as we've been reading. There's there's this um, dynamic about as soon as people hear what Jesus is doing and saying there are more and more misconceptions about who he is. Without true faith in Jesus, people ended up coming to wrong conclusions. And so on one end of the spectrum, people saw him as a potential leader who could reestablish Israel, overthrow Rome, and, and really bring Israel back to what it was. And then on the other side of the spectrum, as I already mentioned with the religious leaders, some people saw him as a threat. And so in the end, that's what ended up happening and he was killed because of who he was and what he was teaching. And so Jesus knew it was important for him to unveil and reveal who he was little by little until the time was exactly right. And so this small group goes into the room and see how compassionate and uh, kind Jesus is. He kneels or gets beside the girl and he takes her by the hand And he speaks to her. He says, little girl, I say, arise. And immediately, she comes to life. And she's up. She's moving. And he asks them to get her food. And we see Jesus as this compassionate and all-powerful healer. He raised this girl from the dead. Jairus began this story with faith, a little bit of faith in Jesus and desperation in his situation. But he sees throughout this passage a Jesus who is not uh, hindered by time constraints or anything else, not even death itself, could keep Jesus from healing his daughter. Are there any parts of your life where you feel like God is unable to heal you or maybe someone else around you? Are there things that maybe seem too impossible, too big, that God would never do those things, or or maybe that God just wouldn't care about something in your life? I'll admit. I definitely struggle to have faith that God can heal certain broken relationships in my life. There are people that I really love that just the relationship isn't what it used to be. And as a people pleaser, I've tried to fix those things on my own by saying the right words or doing certain things to make them love me or uh, to restore what used to be. And then when that doesn't work, I kind of resign to thinking that uh, there's nothing to be done and that's just how it's going to be. But whether I'm trying to fix it on my own or whether I'm doubting uh, that anything could happen anyway, both of those are instances of me not having faith in Jesus, who is not hindered by anything. And so we see Jairus sees Jesus more as this all-powerful healer, and then we come to the woman in the middle of the story who sees Jesus both as her healer and also as her friend and as a reconciler. So we come back to verse 25. As they're moving through the crowd, there's a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians. She spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And while this isn't another resurrection story, this woman is effectively dead. She's had this condition where she's been bleeding for 12 years, And in this day and age, blood was the type of thing that rendered you unable to go to the synagogue. She couldn't worship. She also couldn't touch or be touched by other people because that would make them unclean. She couldn't even touch people's belongings or go into their houses because that would make those things unclean and no one else could be there as well. She likely wasn't married. She probably lived outside the city or in some secluded part of it. She probably didn't have any kids, which means when she got older, she would have no one to provide for her, and so this disease had rendered her essentially destitute and alone. Maybe it's not difficult uh, for this woman's story to resonate with you. Diagnoses or personal loss have a way of uh, being something that you carry around for often years, and they can isolate you, make you feel alone or shameful, this woman went to physician after physician and walked away with no answers, and so it's easy to imagine that her hope was crushed by each successive uh, lack of answer. But it's incredible, she has faith. You see in verse 27, she heard reports about Jesus and went out into the crowd to touch his garment, confident that she would be healed. Now, this was extremely risky to do. She was putting herself in the midst of people, brushing past people, uh, person after person, and she was even going to reach out and touch Jesus' cloak, which in that day and age, you couldn't, a woman couldn't just go up and talk to a man or uh, ask for something from him, let alone someone who is working with the ruler of the synagogue. She is completely risking being publicly exposed, shamed, and likely punished by doing this if she gets caught. But it raises an important question, what fears do you have that might keep you from bringing your needs to Jesus and having faith in him? Like the woman, maybe you have shame about sin or brokenness, or maybe there's a sense of unworthiness, there's no way that God would care enough, or that he would actually do anything about my situation. But the woman has faith in Jesus, and so it allows her to push through any of those barriers, and it says that she's healed. healed. She immediately knew that she had been healed of her disease after she touched his garment. And likely she would be trying to get out of there at this point. She got what she wanted and she didn't want to be exposed, didn't want people to see her, and so she was probably going to try to sneak away. But you see, Jesus wants so much more for this woman. Jesus asks, who touched me? And the disciples are understandably uh, incredulous. Jesus, there's so many people look around you. You've probably brushed up against dozens of people at this point. But he's unfazed and continues to look around because he knows that he healed this woman. It wasn't like his cloak had some magical effects or that you know water that Jesus drank was extra special or anything like that. Jesus healed this woman knowingly, and it's clear that the woman knew that Jesus was asking for her because it says she comes in fear and trembling. And this is also understandable. This woman just did so many, broke so many rules, and now she's being summoned to talk to Jesus. And you can picture the scene. There's everyone standing around, stopped, Jairus waiting, frustrated, anxious, and this woman comes before Jesus, and what is he gonna say? What is he gonna do? And apparently, he asks her to share her story because it says that she tells him everything. And likely she's been talking, uh, she tells him about what's been going on for the last 12 years, how alone she's been, what she's been going through, and at the end of it all, he calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And don't miss what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus says is a remarkable gift to her in two ways. First, he publicly reinstates her, showing everyone around that she is worthy of honor, respect, respect. And, love. and second, he's personally connecting with her, showing her that he's more than just a miracle worker, someone who can do something for her. He shows her that he wants to connect with her, to reconcile her. She hasn't been able to worship for 12 years, and he was drawing her near and connecting with her. And it was so important that he was willing to make the ruler of the synagogue wait to stop the entire crowd. And this is especially Impressive considering the fact that with the resurrection of the girl at the end of the story, Jesus wanted to keep news of what he was doing more contained. But he was willing to make this an entire scene for everyone to see because it was that important to him to connect with and love this woman. And This is easily the most convicting part of the story for me because how many times do I pray when I have a need or if I'm worried about something, I look through the Bible to try to find a verse to encourage me and then I leave it at that. But every single time you go to prayer or read God's Word, that's an opportunity to connect with God. Jesus wants to know you personally. Faith in Him requires personal uh, and intimate connection. God wants to do with us so much more than we realize or even want. And then finally, Jesus tells the woman that her faith has made her well, which is curious. But you see that he says a similar thing to Jairus when he's doubting. He says, do not fear, only believe. What Jesus is saying is that no matter if we have power, status, wealth, influence, or whether we are low, unlovable, broken, and outcast, Jesus requires one thing, and that's faith in him. Both Jairus and this woman effectively came to Jesus with nothing to offer except their faith in him. Now, I'd be lying to you if I said that faith means that Jesus is going to answer every prayer request that you have, any need that you have is immediately going to be taken care of. Sometimes, like the woman, you have to wait many years before you see answers to prayer. Other times, there might be an unfulfilled desire or a need that you pray about for the rest of your life and never see answer to that prayer. And yes, Jesus works two incredible miracles in this story, and we see him far greater because of them. He brings healing and reconciliation to those who are far off from him. But Jesus' greatest purpose is to bring healing and reconciliation on a cosmic level. Notice how with the woman, she was bleeding, unclean, and she reached out and touched Jesus. But instead of making him unclean, she became clean and healed. And in the same way with the daughter, she was dead, and he took her by the hand, and instead of being made unclean because he touched a corpse, she gained new life, and he, was made, uh, he wasn't made unclean. These are two small details that are pointing to the cross. The cross where Jesus shed his own blood, and where he died in our place. Because unlike us, Jesus did live perfectly. He didn't have any sin, he had no shame, uh, and he took all of that upon himself in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved to heal us, of our sins, and to reconcile us to the Father. And these are gifts that we can only receive by putting our faith in Jesus. Around New Year's, people are often looking for a reset, maybe work out more, read through the Bible, maybe there's sin that you're trying to deal with. The only way to lasting change is to put your faith in Christ and to present your desires to Him. So what would it look like for you to put your faith in Jesus this morning? Faith isn't just something at the moment of your conversion where you put your faith in Jesus and that's, that's it for the rest of your life. Faith is something that God calls us to live out every single day. You can imagine a chair. You can say that you have faith in the chair, that it can hold you up, but you don't really live out your faith until you sit in the chair and live out the faith that you have in it. So what would it look like to have faith in God? One way is that our beliefs are often in conflict with what we read in God's word. Maybe you have preconceived notions, maybe there's things you're hearing elsewhere, or just beliefs that you've held that when you read God's word, it seems to have some dissonance. True faith allows you to submit your beliefs and your desires to what God says in His word as the ultimate truth. One example of this is Sabbath rest. God commands all of us to take time in our week to rest from labors and work. And this is something that is extremely difficult for all of us to do. And one reason is that if we don't uh, if we don't do the things that we normally do on a Sunday or whatever day we've set aside for rest, when is it going to get done? How is my to-do list going to get done? I don't have time during the rest of my week to do it. There's so many reasons that make it Difficult for us to practice the Sabbath well, but true faith allows us to see God as the provider, as the one who can do what we cannot do. Another common way that we can live out our faith is by bringing our needs to God in prayer. We see Jairus and the woman are both willing to overcome risks and obstacles to bring their needs to Jesus, and he answers them in incredible ways. When we don't pray we're tacitly acknowledging that we think we can do it on our own. We can take care of our own problems. There are so many ways that we fall short in faith in Christ. But take comfort in the fact that even when we have weak faith, Jesus is able to do unbelievably incredible things. And also take comfort in the fact that faith itself is a gift of God. It's not something you can muster up. It's not something you can generate by yourself. It is something that God gives to us and it's something that he strengthens over time. So my encouragement to you is that we pray and really seek to put our faith in Jesus so that we can know him better moving forward. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we do thank you for who you are we thank you for how you have done the work that we couldn't do to heal us. We thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself, to the Father. And Jesus, we thank you that whether we believe it or not, you are all powerful and, and wonderful. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you for what you have done and we pray that you will give us more faith and trust in you. In your name, amen.